Hey MFAers, head over to mfapayday.com to get your very own customizable free pitch your pants off tracker. That's at mfapayday.com. Welcome to MFA Payday, where we talk with people about all the ways they make their writing pay. We're your hosts, Prima Drudge and Barry Drudge. Today, we have a special guest, Ashley B. Davis. Ashley B. Davis writes The Ordinary and Extraordinary. She has poetry and short work appearing in Trembling with Fear, The Gray Rooms Podcast, Month to Years, Liquid Imagination, Jamais Vu, and Unoya Review. When she is not living in fictional worlds, she lives with her partner, her seven-year-olds, and two rescue cats in Southern California, all right, uh, where she manages rental property. Her debut YA fantasy, The Space Between You and Me, just came out November 14th, 2022. To connect with Ashley, go to her website, www.ashleybdavis, which is A S. H-L-E-Y-B-D-A-V-I-S dot com. I was trying to remember the other day. I was like, how did we meet, though? (laughs) I know we sort of began talking on Twitter and you Mm -hmm. sent me your fabulous novel to read. And I'll be honest, I was scared to let you read my novel. I'm like, she's too good. I'm out of here. No, no, (laughs) I'm loving it. Like your writing style. I'm so glad you like mine because I'm I'm really digging yours, too. Oh, thank you. And I I don't remember the name of it. The Rose and Tales. There we go. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. The title. Yes, yes. I'm so glad and I'm you still, liked it. When I know someone's good in one style, I just know they'll be good in another. So I'm looking Thank forward to, to reading everything that you write. So, okay. I'll be quiet for a minute. Let you get a word in edgewise here. Oh, it's an awesome thing because writers, I mean, you're putting yourself out on the ledge. On the, on the you so are. I, yeah. And, and It's hard. So when you do that, I hear people so often say, Oh, well, I could write a book. It's like, oh, really? Yeah, good luck there. So, you know what? The writing part, go ahead. But then revising, editing, oh, yeah. looking at it 12,000 times, that's that's the hard part. <laughs> right. As we all know. <laughs> that's the part we love to hate and we love to, I think. No, I do love that part, actually. That mm-hmm. that part's less scary for me than the actually like creating something from nothing part. <laughs> oh, agreed. Yeah, yeah. I was talking with someone about my style. And there are so many different writing styles, right? And so Mm -hmm. some people, it comes out almost fully formed and you think they must have been telling themselves this story every night or something. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's such a hot mess. It's just a sketch. Right. And you're like moving things around to try to make it cohesive. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is terrible. I would never want to die with half of a, (laughs) like of a. A really rough draft. I would be so embarrassed. Right. Just burn it. Burn it off. Just erase don't, it off. Don't publish it posthumously, please. <laughs> and you've got a few of those because in a class that I was taking, we had to read one that was written by Franz Kafka. Oh, my gosh. And it was unfinished. Even so, his finished stuff, you're still like. Oh, yeah. It's like. <laughs> right. It's like, it's, it seems like it's, we just lost the pages. It's mm. not like he died in between there. But anyway. Right. <laughs> So how did you actually get into writing? I honestly don't even remember um, like what started me off with wanting to do it. But I just I actually when I was younger, I was really into art um, and drawing. And at some point, probably like preteen era, scary era, I was you know drawing and just coming up with stories inside my head. And so then I started to kind of just write them down. And the drawing part kind of fell away because I realized that writing is more of a challenge for me than drawing like I can easily like mimic something but that's not a challenge and I never thought I'd be someone that like likes things that are challenging 
but I do. There's so many things to learn about it, so many different styles to try to master and genres and understanding literature. So it was something that just spoke to me. And so I, I kept going. Didn't ever think it would be anything, you know, professional. So wow. Yeah. That's a surprise. <laughs> I'm going to do a non sequitur. We are known for those. <laughs> Again, <laughs> I just noticed your teacher. Oh, I did too. Yeah. Have you read Taylor Jenkins reads oh, Daisy sure. Jones and the Six? I haven't yet, but I've, I've been wa- seeing that all over it's online. I've got to read it. It's... Okay. If you like Fleetwood Mac, it has a v- oh, very yeah, much a Fleetwood really... Mac vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. love Fleetwood Mac. And um, I heard that they're about to make it into a movie. I think it's that one of hers that they're about to make into a movie. That would make sense. I always have to read the book first. Always. Exactly. <laughs> right, right. And they're never, you know, the movie, they're never as good. We know that, right? Right, right. You have to have that whole thing in the background, yeah, yeah. in the background. Oh, yeah. While you watch it. So if you enjoyed drawing and such when you were um, mm. younger, did you ever consider like doing comics, like doing the, the writing? Graphic the, novels. Yeah, graphic yeah. novels. You know, yeah, actually, um, I, I, I've thought about that. And it's just my t- style of drawing is like more like I, I don't get a lot of original ideas on my own. I like to copy the technique. And when I do get an original idea on my own, I can never make it match. I mean, often with writing, too, you get ideas and you're trying to execute it on paper the way that it is in your head. And it's next to impossible. But you try your best. And with drawing, that's not really my forte. I'm not super creative in that regard. Um, And also, I was studying a lot of graphic novels for a long time. And I read a lot of them before. But I just don't think I would be able to draw something that repeatedly the same face i don't think i could ever draw the same person's face like multiple times you know totally understand that (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. we keep around the ideas sometimes like i'll be like oh i have an idea which he hears 30 times a week right right (laughs) occasionally be like oh i have an idea down dreamer and then read it to me later (laughs) he's gotten a little like okay i thought it might be talking about this maybe be a, a nice moment for you to read from the space between you and me I can totally do that. I have a little scene that hopefully doesn't give too much away, but also nice. Yeah. yeah, read as much as you want. Oh, no, I timed it. I was like, they said five minutes. It's going to be ish. five minutes. Oh, we are so <laughs> ish people. But they, there's no like, time stopwatch or anything going on. <laughs> well, I don't want to lose anybody's interest just droning on, but uh, it is. Uh, I'll try to read slow because uh, that's often my problem is reading fast. I made an unplanned stop at the street seer shop. It's not like I was actually starting to believe in this stuff. Maybe I just hoped to catch a break. Didn't mean I was giving in to the whispers from the elusive other side my mother communed with. Gertie, the street seer, was a friend of my mom's and older than my parents. Maybe as old as my grandparents? She wasn't a typical witch in a cottage, but I was only 60% sure she didn't eat children. She was covered in tattoos, her white hair in dreads, and she filled out an A-shirt with more assertion than I did. A tinkling chime sounded as I entered. There were trinkets everywhere, crystals, tarot cards, rune stones, while books on grief, reincarnation, and latent psychic powers populated the shelves. Apollo, said Gertie, leaning on the counter where she took people's cash in exchange for parlor tricks. She pushed off the counter with those impressive biceps, all business. The streets have been whispering your name at night, she said, coming around the counter to flip the open sign and crack the deadbolt into place. Of course she would say something like this. It was stock seerism. I'm looking for someone. I looked around the shop as though Junior might pop out, waving a copy of Eat, Pray, Love at me. Come with me, she said. Her combat boots crossed the ancient carpet that was almost black with grime toward the back. 
Keep an eye on the place, Dot, she called. I presume to the homeless person curled fetal between the shelves. A regular, Gertie explained. She cranked the doorknob of a swollen wooden door and shouldered her way through. A blast of reeking air hit me in the face. We were in the alley behind Gertie's gifts. See what she did there? The strip of gray daylight above us was like a faraway dream. Gertie pointed over to the black mark on the potholed asphalt. It looked like the site of a small contained explosion. I was about to ask her whether anyone had spontaneously combusted in this spot, but she swung herself into the dumpster. Sorry, just gotta find something that's not mine in here, she said after some shuffling. Aha! She popped up, pull pulling herself over the side of the bin with a bag in tow. She walked over to me, jutting the hand that wasn't holding the bag in my direction. When I saw she had a knife, I jumped back. Calm down, sunshine. Wasn't she just clever, I thought, a little pleased with the nickname despite myself. As she jerked the, her head at the bag, you gotta rip it open. I took the knife from her, flipped it, and stabbed the blade in with grim satisfaction. I pulled down like I was gutting a bloated white fish. Trash spilled out. Gertie took her knife back, flipping it closed with one hand and slipping it into her pocket. Her arms tensed, tattoos shivering, as she shook the remainder of the bag's contents onto the ground around my feet. Fast food wrappers, 40-ounce bottles, packaging for raw hamburger, shriveled lemon wedges, a child's Transformers notebook, probably a dealer's ledger, wristbands from the strip, like the people who'd cut them off had meandered over here to eat a chicken shawarma sammy afterward. She ripped the bag open from the gash I'd made and let the last few things explode at my feet. Pulling a parliament from her baggy jeans, she lit it as she walked around me, never looking away from the garbage. I wanted to light one too, but then I would seem nervous. Interesting, Gertie said. I fought not to roll my eyes, instead just stood staring at the trash juices pooling around my pumas. I'm getting two things here, like two fates are intertwined. I told my heart to calm the fuck down. She looked up at me, her cigarette out to her side. Does that make sense? Sure. She said something under her breath, still focused on the trash. What? The one who lies to himself will lose what he loves most. She wasn't looking at me, but through me as she spoke. I turned around, wondering if there was more trash back there whispering the secrets of the universe. Her eyes flashed back from yonder middle distance, then flicked down to the styrofoam, plastic, and paper modern art installment. <clears throat> Hold on, there's something else here. She got down on her knees and started moving the trash around with her hands like a regular psychic moves cards over the table. She picked up a can, its aluminum lid jagged and hanging on by a thread. It reflected the sick white sunlight into my eyes. I closed them. When I opened them again, she was looking up at me, the can still in her hand. Death in darkness, or lost in darkness, he finds death. I didn't want to hear anything about death or darkness while I was looking for my friend. I wanted to kick the can out of her hand. I kind of feel like I should tell you I don't believe in any of this stuff. She stood up, chucking the can into the dumpster, as though it hadn't just delivered that foreboding tidbit, like it was just trash, which it was. But if this was her trade, shouldn't she be a little more reverent? That's okay, she said, ducking again to pick up more of the trash. I just watched her, not sure if she was done with her reading. My job is not to convince anyone or explain how I see the things I do. I just see them. That would be a tough job, to be a seer and to have to convince people it was all true. Exactly, she said, not catching my sarcasm. You're disappointed. I shrugged. I was being shitty. She was probably used to people acting like skeptical assholes. Sometimes a token makes people feel like they got more out of it. My heart hammered like I just chugged a quad shot. Whatever. She flicked her fingers like she was throwing something and then widened her eyes toward my chest. 
I looked down. A playing card stuck to my shirt like wind held it there. Ace of spades, edges worn soft and bent with flecks of blood. A souvenir from my prediction feels passe to me, but if it means more business. I'll be sure to tell my friends, I said, holding up the card. Was the blood really necessary? Blood. She looked startled. She came around the counter to look at the card. Must have gotten some paint on it. She licked her finger and scrubbed it against the corner of the card as I held the other end. It was just as awkward as it sounds. But the blood didn't come off. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And I know what I'm... I'm bringing the Kindle this weekend. (laughs) Forget the birthday celebration. Forget the holiday. I'm going to be curled up in the hotel room with my Kindle. (laughs) I've got to download it, but I haven't got a chance to read it. Wow. Oh, thank you. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is it's such active scene setting. I mean, it's, it's, it's so important. I mean, in my mind to to have the, the, all the plates spinning and you've achieved that. And and the second thing, I'm sorry, it's going to be an appreciation moment for Ashley, (laughs) but it's like, um, the trash feels like, um, tea leaf reading. Totally. Yeah. But it's, it's so so clever and so bravo or bravo. <laughs> one of oh, my favorite God. scenes yeah, no oh the the sensory details are just oh. beautiful oh, chef's kiss right the uh shriveled lemon wedges right and all. Yeah. like you see all these yeah. things in exactly. trash so you had to like emulate that <laughs> that doesn't give people the appetite i don't know what <laughs> will because oh. that was like a really <laughs> and you're right you didn't put spoilers but there was just enough it's like give me give me give me <laughs> good give me more and both of you, I've never attempted in my writing first person, except for like personal essays. Mm-hmm. So that's, that is something, I mean, that I always marvel at the ability to keep that going along and feeling natural mm-hmm. and not getting still Not saying the... I too much. Yeah. That's the problem when right. you're writing first person. <laughs> that's wow. The balance. Thank you. Have you ever counted how many times you've used I? I haven't tried that. I've been afraid oh to. But well, it's funny because um, my first novel that I like embarked on, it was first person. And apparently half of the book was just I am statements. And my best friend, who is also my critique partner, helpfully pointed out how many made up the book of I am, I am. And you know, she broke me of that. <laughs> Maybe before I thought about this or if you have it, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. But are there like comp titles or other books? If someone likes such and such a book, they would like your book. You know, yes. Well, there's the title that inspired me to write this book. It's Carry On by Rainbow Rowell. It's more of a um, magical school like Harry Potter. Um, But the dynamic between the two main characters is really what inspired the dynamic between the characters in my book. The, The chapter I read from was from Apollo's perspective. And him and his best friend are kind of on the outs at the start of this book. Uh, because of some drama that happened in the past. And so it's kind of, you know, enemies to friends again. And uh, that's what that book is like, Carry On. So it's really the dyma- dynamic that inspired it. Her magic system is great, though. It's definitely worth a read. It it interacts with <clears throat> the whole franchise of Harry Potter in such a unique and cool way. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. On that note about reading, <clears throat> obviously, you're an active reader as well as writer. So, I mean... I read more than I write, guys. (laughs) Understood. We we have have just given away boxes of books again Again. to the library. Again. (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
But, you know, it's sort of like, you know, gifting them out. But I mean, what do you have in your bookshelves that you're currently reading? So um, I am reading, uh, well, I just finished Book Lovers by Emily Henry. Um, do, you re- do you read rom-coms, uh, Dreama? Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's she's like a sudden prolific um, author. And uh, I just finished that. And that kind of inspired the next thing I'm working on, which is like a rom-com with a twist. And she challenges a lot of the major tropes um, in that. Uh, so it's it's pretty fun. And then other than that like some nonfiction, some horror um the nonfiction i'm reading right now is a uh, meander spiral explode by jane allison and it's it's pretty cool actually it talks about like the space between words um and it, i guess it kind of looks at linguistics and like an alternative narrative arc versus wow. the typical you know plato's triangle or whatever so it's it's unique. It's cool. Yeah. And did I see Big Magic? Did yes, Big Magic. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this is my new Bible. <laughs> right? So <laughs> phenomenal. I listened to it on audio, read by the author, and uh, it just like made me change the way that I I think about writing. I think everybody goes into it like the tort with the tortured artist, you know, because it's hard. It's super <laughs> hard to write, and you go- come at it from that angle, and it gets harder and your muse doesn't want to come out and as soon as you start like opening the door and like just you know living in wonder of this thing that we can do then it it gets a lot easier i haven't gotten there yet but (laughs) i hear you yeah so we interviewed someone a few episodes back who um had worked with her yeah yeah (laughs) and i was like (gasps) he's like and he was like it was way before she ever like i don't care yeah Yeah. So one of the things I really admire about you and your writing is that you are not afraid to hop all over the place. Genre yes. and you're adventurous and you're, you're adventurous in your reading and in your writing. I think that's amazing. So how do those work together for you? Talk about that process a little. So, you know, I was kind of scared as I started thinking about writing as like a, you know, like a profession and putting myself out there into the world especially when you get to novels versus like submitting short stories um or poetry but i was a little afraid because everybody talks about branding and you have to stick with one you know look and color scheme and mood and nobody's (laughs) you know like emily henry's got all her super colorful vibrant and it looks fun and rom-com but like if you are writing a ya fantasy and then if i want to go to you know an adult rom-com or you know just a romance like the Rosen Hills is then you um you have to kind of keep that in mind and I hate thinking about that side of it I don't want to think about how it's going to be marketed I just I like all of those things and I want to pursue all of those things so I'm going to worry about that other part of it later and just pursue all of those different genres you know well, we support and applaud that because yeah. I guess my closest thing to it is the the mm-hmm. world of music where even in Fleetwood Mac, 1968 mm-hmm. Fleetwood Mac, yeah. 1977 Fleetwood Mac are different, different mm-hmm. beasts. Same thing with the Beatles, Bob Dylan. They, they it's sort of like, I've already done that, mm-hmm. you know, but I want to try I, something new. Yeah. I understand that the industry oftentimes wants to pigeonhole you so that they can keep the marketing machine going. Totally. And, and keeping the money going, but I mean, this becomes the balance of art and commerce, I guess would be the, the way I look at it. It's like, <laughs> I'm 
commerce be damned. You know? <laughs> well, and that's a good point. I, I was trying to think of like how to talk about this, but like the great thing about self-publishing and as we're moving into this age of like people being able to do that without gatekeepers holding them back and, and you know, some elusive agent or publishing house or, you know, bookstore owner deciding, okay, yeah, you fit over here in my bookstore. So mm-hmm. this is this is what you're going to be. You're going to be this. Now you can do anything you want because it's, you know, you I guess you can change your brand and just go this other direction and you can fit into that little category on Amazon or wherever it is that you're going to be. And, um, you know, it you don't have to be so confined by the physical bookstores that we walk into and that have all the different locations, you know, that you see and experience physically like you have now the Internet. Oh, yes. Exactly. So wide. <laughs> As we start talking about self-publishing, do you prefer the term self-publishing or indie publishing? Um, either is fine. Indie okay. feels so cool. I don't know if I'm right? that cool. So <laughs> I just oh, you self- are. Self-publish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Look at your t-shirt. You're totally Look at cool. T-shirt, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and to me, it's like the 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 common denominator doesn't have to, in my mind, be genre. It's mm-hmm. your your writing voice because your voice, I believe, probably just like Dreamas, it comes through no matter what the subject matter or the setting or the style of, mm-hmm. you know, I think I think your your uniqueness will pop out regardless of whether it's sci-fi or rom-com. Thank you. And th- there's an author. I She's my absolute favorite author, Maggie Stiefvater. She started in YA novels. And she talks about how when she sets out to write a book, she wants somebody to pick it up and feel that it is a Maggie Stiefvater book because yeah. she's just got this specific style. She's always writing trippy things. And, you know, it, she can go <laughs> across any genre. She just went into, a, you know, adult fiction. And I think you're right. And I can tell reading Victorine, like, and that one page of Dreamas book that she put on her blog, um, that there, yeah, there's a definite feel and if i'm in the mood for that feel like i don't care what genre it's in i'm gonna pick it up you want to write a space opera dreamer i'm gonna read it (laughs) i'm writing it down space opera 2024 do it (laughs) oh my god after the virginia wolf so for this next part feel free to get as much in the weeds as as technical as you want to or not that's Mm -hmm. totally up to you because one of the things we encourage our mfa friends to do is to consider getting outside of the box Mm -hmm. and to consider trying something new and i think self-publishing some people are afraid of it but actually you know it can be so very freeing that's actually that's one of the things uh someone was talking to me before my first novel came out and Mm -hmm. they were asking me about the publishing journey and i said you know what i would love to have an agent and i did get an agent um i said but for me I know with self-publishing, you know, no one can stop me. Eventually, this book is coming out one way or the other. And that was very freeing for me. Mm-hmm. So first of all, was it a conscious decision, your journey? And then you could tell us, I mean, I am serious. I'm being very selfish here. I would love to know anything and everything you can help me with on the self-publishing journey as I'm getting no ready problem. to do that myself. So. I'm willing to share yeah. it all. I learned from yeah. so many other people, but... It was not a conscious decision, actually. (laughs) It was never even a thought in my mind to try it. I'm very old-fashioned. I was like, I I have to get my agent, and I have to do this, and I have to do that. And my husband even asked me, why don't you just self-publish it? Why are you waiting for, why are you submitting all these things and, you know, just just self-publish it? I'm like, are you crazy? There is so much involved in it. You have to be an entrepreneur. I don't have that spirit about me. I can't do that. And I got caught up thinking about all the decisions that you'd have to make on a day-to-day basis. And 
all the drive that you have to have. And it's already hard enough <laughs> just to write the dang thing. So, um, but a friend of mine read this book and she was going to put together like a, a book box for, you know, a queer book box. And the, the book is LGBTQ. And she was like, would you want to write something for it? And I was just flabbergasted by that and immediately totally nervous. And, you know, my stomach just <laughs> dropped to the floor. I'm like, uh, I don't know. But the more I thought about it, I was like, I could put this out there. Like people might need this. Like yes. it, it deals with some things. It deals with addiction, um, which I have a lot of personal issues in my family and in my own life with that. And it deals with sexuality and just questions of sexuality. And I thought that it would be good. I was like, yeah, I could just self-publish it. That, that way I don't have to wait for anybody to give me the the green light, <laughs> you know, and I can just right. get out there. And so I started looking into it right away, like what I would need to do. Of course, there were a thousand things I did in the wrong order, guys. I started thinking about it more and more. <clears throat> I um, I was like, yeah, I could just self-publish it. That, that way I don't have to wait for anybody to give me the the green light, <laughs> you know, and I can just right. get out there. And so I started looking into it right away, like what I would need to do. Of course, there were a thousand things I did in the wrong order, guys. Um, and I'll be happy to talk about those. <laughs> I'm taking notes. Dream of yes. <laughs> um, all the things that you don't want to do um, in, the, in this order. But uh, yeah, so I knew that I had to get it whipped into shape. So I sat down and started really looking at it. I knew that I wanted to go with an editor, even though I feel like I have a pretty good editorial eye. I just wanted an outside look at it like developmentally wise and there were some things that this editor this my editor was Ariane de Sombre I found her on readsy.com which is a great resource um she kind of looked at it and let me know what was working and what didn't work in the overall scheme of things and so then I kind of fixed it up with that that gave me more confidence to be like okay yeah this is happening I'm gonna do this and I already paid all that money to edit it so <laughs> so I uh and I'll tell you what, guys, whenever I got the cover, that was when I was like, oh, my God, this is real. That was so emotional for me to have somebody design that cover and, and put an interpretation of my characters on the front, which I usually hate on books, ironically, but I loved it and uh, it made it more real. So I feel like I'm droning on and on, but I uh, <laughs> I started working on my website in the background because you have to be like visible online. So I started working on my website in the background. Um, to get visibility. And I knew that I didn't have, you know, enough of a team, a street team, basically, to like advertise for me. So that was going to have to kind of be all with me and and generous friends like Dreama and Barry having me <laughs> on their podcast, even okay. though I don't have an MFA, guys. Oh, that's, <laughs> we, we don't force that down anybody's throat <laughs> at all. Yeah, it's, um, so it's been a learning experience and um, I've learned a lot and uh, it's enjoyable and terrifying and, you know, you feel really vulnerable, as you know, <laughs> at the end of it. So <laughs> right. when I used to something about things that you did in the wrong order, can you mm -hmm. remember any of those in particular to share? Well, one of them was I feel like I kind of got my cover a little bit too soon um, and then didn't have my ducks in a row. There's a lot in the background with regards to formatting and you can go through a formatter, which I probably should have done. And I would be a little bit more sane at this point, but I formatted it myself and you have to have all that done before you do the next step of the jacket and the cover. And um, yeah, I, I did that out of order. There's lists out there, like the indie authors that I follow on YouTube, they have 
lists, self-publishing checklists. And, you know, I was going down buying an ISBN and submitting to the Library of Congress, like all these nitty gritty things that make up that cool little title page in the beginning. You know, you just <laughs> you're learning the art of bookmaking. It's it feels very archaic, but, um, you know, it's it's fun. It's something new. So. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm going, oh, really? I have so many questions. I'm like, OK, I don't so know many names I know. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know where to where to start with that. <laughs> Well, someone over here has done my formatting for me. Yay. You're a god. What's been the most challenging thing up until now? Like with self-publishing? Is it like mindset or is it like trying to get the word out or? Well, there there's definitely all the technicalities of it, like learning the ropes with formatting, what free resources to use um, and just navigating that sea, you know, because there's so many things that you can get lost in because the internet, as we said, is a very (laughs) wide place Um, and you want to find the right resources. But there is that whole technical side of it and uh, figuring that out on your own. But really, like for me, mindset, it has been the hardest thing because, um, you know, you really have to set yourself up to be vulnerable, which I'm not good with. I'm a very emotionally unavailable person. (laughs) So it's hard to um, have this thing that I created for my soul out there in the world and like waiting, for, you know, to hear what people think of it. That part's really hard. And also as you're getting out there, like convincing yourself, somebody wants this. There, even if there's one person out there that should be good enough, somebody's g- going to want to read this. So you should get it out there and just convincing yourself that you're not a fraud for doing that. So that's, that's hard. But one thing um, I know one of your questions that you like to ask people on here is like, what advice do you give to other MFAers as they're coming out of the program? And for me, even with this whole process of self-publishing, I never would have been able to do it without submitting my work. So that's great that you guys have this submission tracker that you created and stuff, because it is an invaluable experience, I think, for anybody that wants to um, have the hope of of publishing or even just getting confidence in your writing, even if you don't care about it, getting out there and people reading it. If you just want to know, am I any good? Start submitting it and you're going to get a lot of rejections, but it helps you just molds you and helps you figure out what works and what doesn't. And that kind of becomes like a game. You get a decline and you like sit there and obsess over it, you know, for <laughs> a few weeks and shave away the things that you don't think were working. Send it out again, send it out again, you know, and it Without having done that, I don't have a ton of stuff published. I have just, you know, a few things, but that was an invaluable experience, I think, to gaining the mindset, the confident, confident mindset to be able to put your stuff out there in a big way like this, you know? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, you do not come across as emotionally unavailable. Oh, dear, no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> we feel that way, but we don't feel that way at all. We're like, we're like wait, what? <laughs> then like, it's no, no, no. <laughs> but if that's over, you know, if that's stepping over a line, we apologize. I apologize. No, 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 said no. It, but... <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm right now working with a mentor on on my novel. I, I gave him my first draft of it. And his first question was, as he looked at it, he loved it, which was good. That's but he exciting. goes, you need you need a character to kind of bounce off back and forth. Can you make create a a little more tension that way? So I've it's sort of like I'm almost doubling the size of it by it's, adding it's this a, whole new being into your yeah. life. Right, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but it's been a great learning experience. I wrote a novel when I was in college. I would never show anybody. It's, Everybody was, has one of those. It was right? a, it's, it's a fantasy <laughs> novel. So yeah. It, so. 
the title. That was of- a good thing to learn, though. Like the one of the things I think you learn as you're like writing more and more just on your own, and as you're letting other people read it, is like, well, my, one of my problems, Barry, was that same thing. Like my critique partner was like, "Why are all your characters alone? Why don't they have a best friend? Why don't they know anybody? Why don't you? Why do you have a best friend and all, this huge family, and and your characters are just so lonely?" And I'm like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Okay, you double the size of your book to add them in. I happen to notice that you say in your bio that you manage rental property. Oh, yeah. And this is interesting because we know several writers who do this. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That is so bizarre. (laughs) Well, and the one person says that doing it allows her like flexibility to write. So maybe there's this whole (laughs) subculture of writers who manage property <laughs> you know i wish it did that my my schedule for work is pretty rigid um so it's hard to find a good time because i think my most creative time is like in the mornings so and i'm a painfully slow writer you guys so really um i'm not gonna get up at 5 a.m <laughs> right maybe i need to start <laughs> nope. doing that but i do most of my writing on like monday in the morning after the kids have gone to school or Sunday morning, I get up really early and do a little bit of writing. So work is hard for that. What I find helps, um, not so much like getting ideas <laughs> from my day job, but um, is uh, that it's just a whole different um, side of your brain that you use for that, you know. Well, I guess it's not because I'm trying to, you know, connect with people and understand people's needs and, um, you know, take care of our residents and get new people to rent. But also in writing, you're trying to make those connections with people and um, yeah. appeal to them, you know, emotionally. So, so yeah. it's like your job's pretty demanding, right? <laughs> That's- yeah. And it's more like, I guess what I was trying to say is like this different side of your brain you use. It's more like sorting out problems and um, paperwork. And, and it's, I don't, I'm not very creative at work. And so, but I like that. I like that, like, kind of tedious um, tasks that I'm doing and I'm listening to music or whatever as I do that. And then on the other side of it, when I come home, I can, you know, be wild and have this like inner (laughs) fantasy world just come out of my brain. Right. Well, that's a a long tradition. You know, you get your Mary Olivers and people who, well, Elizabeth Gilbert, who's like, I'm not going to require my writing to support me. And and that was one of the great ideas from that book that kind of blew my mind. I was like, yeah, why why would we do that? Um, it feels like it would put, you know, it would make it such a Marxist exchange and kind of da- <laughs> put a damper on your creativity, you know, that free yeah, spirit. Yeah. And on the one hand, I agree. On the other hand, I'm like, yeah, but give me that money. Yeah. But I need to be paid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're figuring all that. That's why we have this podcast to like pick everybody's brains. We're like, what about, you know, so, I want to yeah, see what works for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, it's it's not just a, a complete uh we have a, a purpose of our own our, a little mm-hmm. evil purpose no i get it <laughs> and we love the idea of you know just talking to other people i mean otherwise we'd probably be watching another episode of the office right right like, for reiner <laughs> the what is it called the super fan episodes oh my gosh <laughs> I yeah, they, they, they add another like stuff that's been cut out Ooh, I'm gonna have to watch those because I, I do love that show. Well, Ashley, we just appreciate you coming onto the show. It's added another little wrinkle in our brains. <laughs> so that's just awesome. Uh Ashley is www.ashleybdavis.com. Yep. Check it out. Get her book. What's the name of it again? The Space Between Space You Be- and Me. That's right. And where's it available, by the way? 
Um, you can go to books to read um, books, the number two read dot com slash the space between you and me. And it gives you the links for any of the um, available venues. So you can go on Barnes Noble, Amazon, Kobo, Google Books, any of those. Yay. Well, we thank you. And until next time, keep writing, writing all, all of the things. things. <laughs>